Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Engler, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. I'm here with uh, the wonderful co-host, Amanda D'Angelo. Oh, Peter, you're wonderful too. I, I'll take. I was trying to go a little Italian there. Yeah, but yeah, there you go. I like it. And then there we go. So, and then um, our also our stupendous uh, producer Nathan Yoder. We are here uh, with a friend. Uh, her name is Stephanie Chappelle. Uh, I met Stephanie when I was in college. Uh, spent some time with her and a couple of my other friends in Washington D.C. And uh, today we're asking the question. Why isn't my life where I expected to be? And I think this really fits our mission, which is mm-hmm. asking questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in church. And uh, Amanda, you were really excited about this episode. I was, because not only have I asked it myself, but a lot of friends of mine have asked it as well. So I was like, yeah, I would love to be in this conversation. Well, Stephanie, no pressure. Um, <laughs> you got to answer this for everybody. Before we jump into the question and conversation, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you're doing right now? Sure, I'd love to. And I do want to thank you, really, for this invitation. What a joy to be with you uh, here today. It's good to reconnect after the time, um, boy, back in the day in Pennsylvania and D.C., and then, Amanda, good to meet you, and Nathan as well. I'm, I'm happy to give you a little bit of a background. I'm, I'm uh, the grateful fruit of a campus ministry organization um, that reached out to me when I was in college. I come from uh, really a, a great family in so many ways. My mom and dad gave me the best of everything they could give me. Um, my, uh, they, they really just gave me the best of everything they could. But mom and dad uh, did not uh, have a relationship with God when I was growing up. And so when it came to anything of faith or religion or anything, I would say on my dad's side, there really wasn't much of anything. And on my mom's side, um, oh, I would say that um, we, had a, we had a respect for tradition, I would say, would be, would be our faith background. And um, so just really not much of, of, of anything of faith growing up. I, uh, I, I tell people that when I was in high school, um, I had four years of high school. I don't remember meeting one person who claimed to be a Christian mm-hmm. in my high school. Uh, four years of high school, not one person who said they knew Jesus. And if anybody did, no one was talking about him. And, uh, so when I graduated from high school, I, um, I, I left my high school, went away to college. And I, I tell people that God was really the farthest thing from my mind. And uh, I love to tell people, though, that I was not the farthest thing from his and uh, there was a campus ministry uh, organization on my on my campus, and the students of this ministry uh, just loved me very, very well. And um, for about three years, they loved me because I'm hard headed. <laughs> they just kept loving me and showing me uh, their uh, the life of Jesus in their in their lives. And beginning of my senior year, I said, I, I think this God is real. And um, I, I won't go into all the details because I know the question is a little bit about who I am and, and a little bit of my background, but I now work with the campus ministry organization that was uh, there for me. And uh, so in the midst of um, my um, reluctance, um, God kept loving me, kept echoing through the students. And now I like to say that the ministry that I used to run from, I get to help run. And uh, this ministry is called Chi Alpha, and we love students. We're on almost about 300 campuses, and I'm ever thankful that uh, they were on my campus when I was a student. And uh, I serve now as a, it's called the National Program Director, so I help provide some leadership uh, to our ministry and to our uh, missionary staff across the country. Hmm. So 
I think that I also thought of college students asking this question that people in like their 20s and 30s are thinking my life is not what I expected. I thought I would be here. I thought I'd be there. I thought I'd be married. I thought I'd have like, you know, all this money in retirement, whatever the case may be. So obviously you were experiencing the same thing, right, Stephanie? So tell us a little bit about that. Like, where did this come from? Uh, What were you hearing? What were the expectations and why are the expectations to accomplish so much so high? Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and, I'll, I'll approach that from a couple different perspectives. Yeah. Uh, personally, myself, as well as what I've seen uh, working with university students, it's uh, surprising how even at that age, there is this gap between where they feel like their lives are and where they feel like their lives should be. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I lived on a university campus in Washington, D.C. for five years, private school, top academic school, low acceptance rate. Most of the students who went to that school um, were number one in their class or very close to number one in their class. They were used to being number one in their class. Then they step on the campus and they are surrounded by people who were also number one in their class and what they expected for their lives and what they expected for their success as a student even, they, they kind of came into this hard reality, oh, my life doesn't look like what I expected it to. And I would see that from students academically. Um, they they Some of them for the first time struggled and they didn't know how to struggle because they never had struggled. They would also they would also engage with that socially. Some of the clubs on that particular campus, you would have to apply to be a part of this of a social club. And there were students who would get denied and they had never been denied for mm. anything they had ever done. I remember one student sitting in my little apartment. I, I served as a chaplain in residence on that campus and spent most of my five years living in a freshman residence hall. And um, they the, the university wanted uh, people of different faith backgrounds to live in the residence halls to provide a to provide a pastoral care, um, and so I I did that. And I remember sitting with a student who had was just crushed. Every single application that that student had turned in to join a a, a variety of clubs had been turned down, and they were they were brokenhearted and stunned, and they couldn't understand how their life had gotten to, you know, in their words, in an 18, 19 year old mindset, how would my life, how, how did I not get to where I thought I would be? Mm-hmm. So I've seen that with university students, but I also, um, I remember when my friends and I uh, became somewhat north of 40. <laughs> so when, you know, when we started getting into our forties, I'd have friends that I'd have conversations with who would ask the same question. I really thought my life would be different than it is now. I really thought my marriage would be different or my family life would be different. And what they thought, what they expected, isn't what their current reality at the time was. Uh, So they wrestled with their own expectations, but then they also wrestled with the expectations that people, they thought people had of them, whether those were accurate or not. The expectations of the world around them, if you're in your forties and your kids should be acting like this and all the things. So it it was interesting to me as I as I thought about our time t- together that it really is at least within the age group of adulthood from when I began adulthood to kind of my adulthood now those times were bookended by a lot of the same questions. So the late teens and then my friends in their 40s as well and I imagine that that, that the potential for that continues. And I I just know I 
for my own life, I've had to ask those questions. Um, I'm a single woman. I'm 55. I'm single. Mm. And one of the questions I've had is, wow, is this the life I expected? Mm. Um, is this the life others expect of me? Um, is this the life God expected of me? Is this, is this the plan A or am I learning to be comfortable with what I think some might call plan B? Mm-hmm. Man, there there is so much there. As you were talking, I just had this like huge kind of aha. And I, I actually think it relates to both you and Amanda. Um, I don't think I've ever went to a college and met someone that says, hey, you know what? I'm going to graduate. You went to Pacific University, correct? I did. University yeah. of the Pacific. Univers- Excellent memory. Yes, in, in California. Hey, yeah. it's a March Madness team every once in a while. So, um, but <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but I, I don't think anybody goes to college. I haven't met them and says, you know what? I'm going to be a student minister or um, uh, a college student ministry pastor. Like there's not like this niche, like your your ministry role and job kind of finds you. And I, I even think about Amanda, like it's not like, I mean, I went to the University of Valley Forge. It's not like, hey, you know what? I'm going to college to become the next steps director at a church. Do you think that maybe in your just vocational experience that there is something about early on that your expectations shifted or you're just more aware because you didn't end up where your four degree led you. I, I don't know. Mm. That, that was just kind of an aha that came to me. That's a, that's a great insight, Peter. And I, I think that's true. I went to school here. Here's a little bit of the background with that. I initially went to school pre-med just because I thought that's what, um, that's what I wanted to do. What I didn't realize until maybe midway through my freshman years, I'm really not great at science. (laughs) I was in biology. That was a hard revelation. So talk about coming up against an expectation that you had of yourself. I remember being in biology class looking in in a lab and our professor said, look through the microscope and draw the amoeba. And I would look and I couldn't find it. And I'd say, well, you know, I'd say to my lab partner, it's gone. And then my lab partner would look and no, it's right there. And I'd look, no, it moved. I, I could just, somehow it didn't connect. And I remember writing in my biology notebook, I don't think this is the right fit for me. And that mm-hmm. was a hard, that was a hard bump right there because I had always thought, well, med school, that was just, there's some medicine in my family's background. It was a hard reality for me not to be able to live up to my own expectation then. But then I found the law and that's what really lit me up is I remember looking at what was expected for the pre-law uh, curriculum. And uh, I decided to go, I, I remember reading that thinking, wow, I could really like this. I double majored in pre-law and psychology. I got two majors done. And the rest of the time, I like to joke that I could you know, sue you and then help you get in touch with how, how you feel about that, you know, with the <laughs> pre-law and psych and was on the way to law school, even to the point where I, I applied and got accepted to a law school that was part of my university. Mm. University of the Pacific has its own law school. I got accepted to there. I'd spent a summer school program at that law school, just diving into it. But in that process, the Lord won me. Uh, and in uh, after I said yes to following Jesus, what I didn't know was that saying yes to following Jesus included saying yes to following Jesus to on another path for my life. Mm. And so that was the first time I think I really, I think I appreciate your insight. I think that was the first time I really bumped into my own expectations, not, not 
meeting the expectations I had of myself or my capabilities. It was a little bit of a hard pill to swallow to realize I just don't have, I don't think I have what it takes to go on that in that field, mm-hmm. then to find a field I really loved and then to ha- ask, have Jesus ask me to, to give it up for him, mm-hmm. um, which I, I tell people quite a bit. The only regret I have in giving my life to Jesus is that it took me so long. <laughs> I, I really wish I had known him a lot earlier, um, but I know his timing is good and I know that his plan uh, is good. I exchange my dreams for my life for his dreams for my yeah. life. And I, without question, feel like I got the best end of the deal, but it was one of those things where I had to, I had to adjust my expectations. Yeah. And and I'll just say this too, the expectations that others had, i.e. my father and my mother, uh, when I changed my career path that I had to bump, kind of bump my way through that as well. Mm. Um, I so relate to all of this. <laughs> I, so I was in, I was a senior of high school. I applied to Niagara University to be a pediatrician and I did not get in because my grades weren't good enough. So the only other thought I had was being a teacher and I was like, all right, I'll do it. And then first semester, I really committed my life to Christ and all I wanted to do was be in vocational ministry. But anytime I tried to stray away from teaching, God said, this is the plan I have for you to be a teacher. And I did not understand it at the time at all. So I I could talk about this forever, but I'll do the short version of it, is that I kept pursuing teaching. I was a fourth grade teacher for eight years and every year I loved it more and more. And every year I prayed, God, if you want me to continue being a teacher, I will. Or if you want me to be in vocational ministry, open the door. And it wasn't until 2020 that my church reached out to me and said, we want to hire you for this position. And this was a, this is not even Browncroft. This was a total different church in Buffalo. And so really you have to, as a Christian, lay down the plans that you have in order to say, God, I completely trust you with whatever you have for my life. So when you talk about changing your expectations, practically, what does that look like? Like, how did you journey through that um, to change those expectations? And how hard was that for you? whether it be career or even marriage as well, because I think that's a relevant um, situation for people's lives as well. Mm-hmm, sure. The career change was a little quicker. Uh, the The desire for marriage and the, honestly, the disappointment that came for a lot of years with, with not finding somebody. I um, it's, it's not that I didn't want to get married. It's not that I didn't date. I was even engaged at one point mm-hmm. and had, that was a whole process of, um, walking through that and realizing the expectations of my life is different than again than what I expected. Once I once I did get engaged, I there was a shift in me that went from me to we. And then when we decided not to get married, I had to reshift into, okay, it's not we anymore. It's it's back to me. And my life really doesn't look like I thought it would look like now. So I'll I'll answer that kind of in, in two ways with with the career. I would say the the Lord's he really is so gracious. And there was a, a surrendering. There's no question. There was a surrendering Mm -hmm. that I had to do, but at the same time, my love for what God was asking me to do was increasing while my love for what I had planned to do was decreasing. So that was really helpful. I'm not saying it was easy, especially having to tell my family, I got into law school. I'm just about three, four months from starting, but I'm making a career shift here. 
it's really awkward to tell your parents you're changing your whole career in April of your senior year of college. You know, that was, that was rough. And I, and that was, I think in many ways, that was a bit of a test for my heart. The Lord wanted to know that I would be willing to follow him in that way, even when it was uncomfortable. And it wasn't that I went without my parents blessing in that sense. They, I remember my dad saying, I'll, I'll support you in anything you want to do, even though he didn't understand. So I knew I had his blessing in that way, but it was still a, a testing time for me in that sense. Fast forward years, I always imagined that I would be married with four kids. I'm the oldest of four, thought I'd have four kids, you know, it just made sense in my mind. And as I got older year by year, as I processed, hmm, I haven't met somebody or I have met somebody that's not the person. Uh, that was a much longer process of wrestling through what did my life, what did I expect my life to be? What is my life now? How big is that gap? And and how hard does that gap feel right now today? Um, and, and sometimes that gap felt very, very challenging. Sometimes not as challenging, uh, but there were days it was, it was really challenging when I, I just thought, did I miss it? You know, you, you go through all the questions. Did I miss it? Did I, you know, is, is the will of God so fragile that because I turned left instead of right, I didn't meet the, you know, all, I, I, I don't think those are unfamiliar to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had to really walk through that with community that could speak very openly with me, uh, or community that didn't say a word and were just present with me. Mm-hmm. There were times when I, I, they could have said all the perfect things and that still wouldn't have necessarily helped, but they were present. Wow. And there were ways that people welcomed me into their homes and families so that I didn't have to feel like I was alone. Mm-hmm. Um, there were that the passage, it says the, that God sets the lonely in families, uh, that has life to me. Mm. That's not just a verse that has come to life in my life. Mm. God does set the lonely in families. And then there were different ways that over the years that the Lord had to walk me through my own disappointment. Uh, maybe even I could dare say disappointment with his plan uh, for my life. Um, if I could really be bold, disappointment in him because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so there's, there's I, I can keep unpacking more because there's, that's not an easy, that's not an easy answer or an easy fix. Right, right. Can I say one thing? Oh, no, no, go, go. Okay. You you go. Oh, I just, it. so I relate to the marriage aspect of it because I didn't meet Nick, my now husband, until I was 31. And I I had to get to the point where I said, okay, God won't have me married until this point. And I put it years, decades down the road, like just to preserve my heart and protect my heart. Um, And my, at times, my desire for marriage was, was idealistic. I idolized getting married. And I wrestled with that. And I had to say to God, you, if you're not going to provide, like you have to be enough for me. And right now you're not. So like, I know what's going on in my heart. I know what's going on in my mind. You have to be enough for me. And I think that being authentic with God is like, yeah, I knew I was not enough for you. And I'm going to help you walk through that. Um, so just, I just want to throw that in there because I so relate to what you're saying, Stephanie. Well, and you know, the, the hard thing ab- about us talking about singleness, you know, we interviewed um, a woman who, um, her name is Bridget Gee. She does similar things in university, and she just wrote a book on singleness is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talked about the intimidation of feeling like, 
I I can empathize and think about the feelings of being single, but I'm not single, so I already feel like my credibility is kind of gone with that. But that kind of leads me to this question because I think this is kind of a universal problem. Do you think, so on one hand, there's the cliche, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And then there's the other, mm. like kind of this, the students that you were dealing with in Washington, DC, that every minute of their life is planned. So I think in one sense, are we over planning and over scripting our life that we're taking God out of it? Mm. But then on the other hand, is God kind of asking us to plan something else and we're not like, because we live in this American culture, it's about the job, the career, the family and all the, and like we're even delaying a lot of that. So, you know, like I said, the first question is, you know, are we over planning? And then the second question is, you know, in even from your life, are we, are we seeing what God sees in all of that? Or I don't know, how do you process through that? Yeah. It's a great question, Peter. I, I do. The first thing that comes to mind is just the, the reality of the tensions that we have to live in every day. So what, what your, your question, I think I don't want to be, I don't want to do a shortcut, but in some ways I would say yes. And I say yes to, to both. And because we do need to live in these tensions in one hand, I think we so overcommit and try to fill in and try to plan out and all the things. I mean, I, I do remember being in college, the dean of our university, I was in a conversation with him and he asked me what my plan was for something. And I laid out my five-year plan and he just kind of smiled at me knowing <laughs> that, you know, he did. I just, I still remember right there, you know, uh, Dean Barr uh, on our campus sitting across from his desk and he just kind of smiled, looked at me like, yeah, we, we do that. We, we've got the, we've got the plan that we're sure is going to come in exactly how we think. So on one hand, I think we do over plan, but on the other hand, I mean, we, like you're saying the proverbial, if you aim at nothing, that's what you'll hit. I, I do wonder though, how do we take these things and hold them in tension with God? And I even say with God intentionally, can God be in the midst of the tension? Can he be in the midst of the unknowing? Can he be in the midst of the planning, but planning with open hands? I, I really think he wants to be. Um, mm -hmm. and, and in the midst of that, is there room for him to renew our minds? Because what we see every day is so, it, it's so in our faces. It's so curated. So I've, I've been now a little over 30 years in, in Christian ministry and it would be so easy for me to look around at the curated Instagram post of different men and women of God, mm -hmm. the leaders of the church that I follow because I, I am interested or like what they say or, or whatever. It would be so easy for me to look at them and think, how is it that they are at 40 where I, I don't know if I'll ever, I, if I'm at, I'm not there at 55 or I won't be there at 65 or will I ever be there? We we're surrounded by it. We're faced with it so often that I do think somewhere in the midst of this, God wants to renew our minds um, in terms of how we think about these things. So I, Peter, I don't know if that's exactly answering your, your question, but that's, that's what comes to mind is there is a yes. And, but I'd say in addition to, can we, can we lean forward on plans? Uh, yes. Can we trust God with our lives? Yes. Where is God in the midst of that? And how is he renewing our minds? 
Well, and I don't want to sound pastoral um, in this sense, because this is going to sound almost dismissive, but, um, you know, God never promised us to get ma- that we'd get married yes. and God never promised us that we'd get the big church or, you know, the huge podcast or God never promised us six kids. And I, and I, I'm, I'm saying that more in grace because I think if you were to go into the souls of all of us listeners, there's these certain things that we hold really, really tightly that, you know, when we signed up to follow Jesus, God said, uh, that's not part of the bargain. And I think that that's a lot of what we're wrestling with. Right, right. I think that's exactly, exactly right. I, again, for me, one of the ways this has been reflected has been in singleness. I know that won't that won't reach everybody who listened to the podcast, but, but this principle, this word that was offered to me in the midst of a struggle became really life-giving. I was in one of those seasons of wrestling. Why isn't my life where I expected it to be? And, and I would say not just where I expected it to be, but you know, we're part of the, the uh, capital C church. So this is not an expression of my local church, but part of the capital C church can be, we, we have a great value for marriage have a wonderful value for marriage. And so the expectations of people on me about my singleness sometimes were really challenging. And I imagine you felt that uh, men as well. I remember being in a meeting one time and um, a lady I I met, she said, you already married? I said, no, I'm single. She said, she said, don't you just love having all that extra time to serve the Lord? And my, and my immediate response was, and I, I think I was gracious. I think I said, well, you know, yeah, but sometimes it's also really, really lonely. And it took her back. She didn't know what to say. And and I do think because there are certain things that seem typical, again, whether it be marriage, whether it be children, and I think about the people who maybe don't have children, but but long to, um, maybe other things that they have with their career or, or life. Um, people want you to be happy. <laughs> they want you to have the things that they value. And when we don't necessarily live up to the expectations around us. That's another, another gap that we have to have to navigate. So here's what happened when I was having a really honest conversation with a friend. She said to me, just Peter, so you're so right on what you said. She said it this way. She said, uh, marriage is not a reward for behavior. Mm. Now fill in the blank with any of those things, Mm. any of the things that you just described there. But in our, my case, she said, marriage is not a reward for behavior or good behavior, which to be honest, there were moments that in the darkness of my heart, I thought, Lord, I'm trying to serve you better than that person. And they got married or Lord, I'm really working hard here in our ministry. And they got invited to go speak it, you know, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the, in your own heart, you know, if you're honest, those things sometimes come up. She said, marriage is not a reward for good behavior. She said, it either is or is not in the path of obedience that Jesus has for your life. She said, if it's what Jesus has, if it's in the path of obedience, it will lead you to greater intimacy with him. Mm. If it is not in in the path of obedience that he has for you, it will lead you to greater intimacy with him. In other words, um, it's part of our knowing him. Um, And I I do think asking the question with him, why? You know, I I think that's part of the wrestling to get to know him. I think some people could ask that in an accusatory way, and I'm sure I have along the way. But in, but the why for me at times also included those moments of 
God, you are still, you are still present in my life. You are near. Um, Peter, you said God didn't promise those things. The way I read through scripture, I think the one thing that is most consistent of his promise is I will be with you. Mm. I will be with you. I I look at all the other things in scripture that, um, that are promises and appear to be promises, but the, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you is the consistent Mm. promise Mm. of our God. Yeah. Um, when I know it is, I singleness is the one thing that I can definitely relate to in this. And I also came to the point where I said, like, I, it makes sense to me, but I, I knew the only way to pray about my desires was to, um, ask God for them and say, Lord, please provide a husband. Like I am, I want this. I want to live life with someone where we can do more for the gospel than we could apart. This is what I want. Um, but I also in asking, I also surrender just like Christ did your will be done. Like you re like you, cause God is so he's truly a perfect father. No matter what kind of relationship we have with our dads, I think we can relate. Like we kind of can imagine the perfect father, the perfect balance of like, I want to give you all the good things, but I know what is good for you. I know. Um, so Stephanie, how would you say that Christianity has uniquely responded to our expectations? Like how, in this world, like, I mean, I love that you mentioned the promise of that God will always be with us. How does people in um, Christian worlds, like, how do they respond to the expectations that we have for our lives? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's a great question. And I, I, I would say that, again, we've, we've mentioned a couple of times, just because it's probably the most prominent example in my own life, the singleness. But I, I, I have a dear friend who has wrestled through um, trying to develop her, her family's business and it hasn't been where, you know, mm. so I, I would say we, we can apply these things to so many things. She, they've offered this business to the Lord. They've tried to follow the Lord. It hasn't been what, what they've hoped for. It hasn't been the expectations. They lived in a part of the country where it seemed like, well, it seemed like everybody was an overnight success, you know, not seeing all the, you know, months and years that were hidden. Um, so people look like they're an overnight success. And so her, expectation was that we should be there. So again, this, this relates to so many areas of our lives, our business, our families, our marriage, our singleness, our, mm-hmm. our health. Um, yeah. I, I would say I'd add one other thing with this. I've been in a season, uh, this last year has been particularly challenging, particularly painful for our family. My, my beloved stepdad of almost 30 years, um, was diagnosed with, uh, with a, a fatal disease in March. We thought we'd have a couple years with him and, and he mm-hmm. lived uh, 99 days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been grieving. My family's been, in, been really grieving this year. I'm so sorry. Uh, about 10 weeks later, I, my beloved, my beloved pup, who was my little companion, uh, died unexpectedly. And it was just boom, it was just, we, you know, just so much grief. And even in a context like that, it would be easy to say, why, why do I still feel this way? Why, why am I, why do I still cry? Why do I, why do I still feel a little cloudy in grief? I, shouldn't I be past that or see a lot of the people I work with really excelling in something in our, in our ministry. And I feel like I'm kind of trudging in, um, wet cement. Um, shouldn't I be where they, you know, so again, these, these things fit everywhere. How does the, how does Christianity, um, 
uniquely address this in so many ways. I, again, I, I, I think that part of the reformation of our minds helps us with that. I, mm. I don't think we consider enough how deeply our minds need to be reformed, um, how much, how much we're formed in ways that we don't even expect. And, and here's an example. Um, I read a great book a couple years ago where the author was talking about how their time around the family dinner table was part of the formation of their children. Um, that was time where they could reflect on their day, connect as a family. And I realized that when I was growing up, we had kind of two, I, I, my, after my parents split up, I had two family dinner tables. One on one side, we sat around the table, reflected on our day, um, that parent and step-parent. Um, we'd talk about my friends. And the other family table was in front of the television. And we, we ate in front of the TV and we didn't talk unless it was a commercial. And that parent and step-parent, there was no... And I, I didn't realize how much that had formed me. So I, I share that to say this. We don't realize how much these things, how much things form us, even though we don't realize it because they don't seem particularly spiritual or they don't seem particularly traumatic. Mm. Sitting around the table or sitting in front of the television having dinner is not traumatic, but it formed me in a way that I'm even just now recognizing, oh, I, wow, okay. I realized what that meant for me there comparatively. We're faced with things every day that form us that we don't even realize. The, the, the lives we live, the communities we live in, where we work, the families we're in, form us in a way that I think the Lord in his wisdom says, I need to reform the way you think about some things. Mm -hmm. um, again, in that one example, commu communication in that side of the family was during commercial breaks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know. So there are ways that I needed to be reformed in my thinking and how the Lord wants to do that for us here. When we look around and when we're surrounded by, again, the curated examples, we need to have our minds. And God is so good with, with that. I have a dear friend who talks a lot about God being the mentor in her mind or the mentor for her mind. She mm -hmm. said, it's like, it's like sometimes I'm walking through a maze in my mind and my mentor, Jesus, has to walk me you know, to, to the other side of that maze. So I can, I can think more clearly about what he thinks about and I can think more like him. So that would be one way that I would, I'd say that Christianity is unique in that. I would have to say too, that our Lord's example, um, Jesus did not live the life that would have been expected in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, what a, what an amazing example he is for us. I would imagine that there were plenty of things that the community around Jesus kind of looked at and said, well, that's, that's not typical for our culture. That's not typical for the way we do things here. Um, Jesus is my model, my mentor, my example. And I think um, if I remember that he's the one I'm walking with, um, then I, I do a lot better. I'd say the last thing is this is I think I, I love the examples in scriptures uh, in scripture that basically talk about the different seasons that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that we can't consider seasons in other ways, but I know that when I am in a season of hiddenness, again, going back to, uh, he has not left me in that season of hiddenness. When it feels like I am in, in the darkness, when, it, when I'm in a season of grief, when I'm in a season of surrender, when I'm in a season of um, 
whatever, fill in the blank. Uh, when I'm in a season where the work of my hands does not appear as successful, maybe as others mm-hmm. do, um, he is with me and what he's doing in the unseen place I trust is going to bear fruit in the seen place, in the visible. What he does in the invisible is going to bear fruit in the visible, not for my credit, not for my um, glory or whatever, fill in the blank, uh, but because uh, when we abide with him, we bear fruit. You know, as, a, as I'm listening to you talk, um, there's there's a deep part of me that just wonders if, we as the church and Christians have celebrated the wrong things. So, you know, when I went to Valley Forge, uh, my my dream was, you know, go to a large church, um, succeed a longtime pastor, have a family, and write the books, podcasts, you know, do all of that. And I ended up working for Valley Forge. I ended up selling cell phones, and now you know, I work here at Browncroft and, you know, it just, it, it's interesting to me because there, there is a lot of the professional, I'm not where that other person is. Um, I'm not, um, you know, of course now people are going to be jealous that I've, you know, I have Stephanie Chappelle on my podcast. So after this, they, they're going to want, but you know, just, you know, the preaching opportunities, the book opportunities and, and so I, I think we all kind of wrestle with this, but there's a part of me that just wonders if the American dream has just so infiltrated. Like, like I, I think about if I went to the church that you attended in in Springfield and we did a video, the three minute video of your story. I love Jesus. I serve college students and I'm single and it's not easy. Um, like, we don't necessarily celebrate, and I'm even kind of thinking about when we celebrate people that follow Jesus, that come to, and like, there's this, this idea of my life gets better. And that's true, mm-hmm. but like your life gets better. You know, you wrestle with forgiving people. You, you end up using your money and your time to serve God, but it's, you have to deeply explain like, yeah, your life, you might become a Christian and get a better job. You actually might become a follower of Jesus and get like a worse job. Or So, I mean, I don't know. Do you do you kind of struggle with that celebration? Especially, I, I think you just have an acute eye for that too. Mm, great, great insight. I, I would say yes to that. The issue of the, like, especially here in, in our in our nation, the, the idea of the American dream. And that's, I guess, part of what I was thinking about the renewing of our minds. Yeah. Um, how we view what what a successful life is, how we view what a successful, again, fill in the blank is, that does need to, our minds new, do need to be renewed. And um, and the fact we, we, we do amplify whatever we celebrate, we celebrate what we amplify, you know, all those things that people say. And again, that is what is ahead of us. And so, so the question is, well, then who's qualified to write the the successful book? You know, I I'm going to be a little um, I'm going to be a little bit uh, sassy here when I say this. You know, whenever anybody you know, if if it's a book, you know, three easy steps to the perfect Christian life. I never I never want to read that book. I don't want to read that book. I want to know that you have walked through the pit and come through it, loving Jesus. I want to read your book. 
if and and I don't care how big your church is or or whatever if you know what that that kind of thing. I, I want to know if you've been if you have walked to hell and back mm. and you still and and your heart is still tender and to to Jesus and to people I want, I want to read your book. Mm-hmm. I want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. I want to know, because that, that tells me you've been there and you've, you've walked through it. You knew that you knew that he could walk through it and would walk through it with you. So you didn't lose him during that time, which is makes this time all the sweeter now that you're through it. That's I, Peter. I think that's exactly it. And it's not that I don't ever want to hear from someone who leads a large church because they could have, you know what I mean? What's, what's the depth and, and character and substance that they have that has allowed them to, to do some of the things that they have as well. It, it really does come down to, to that though. What I think it's a great question. What are we celebrating mm. for the yeah. students that I worked with? They looked at what was around them and they kind of celebrated what looked like the success for their context. I, I would have students come to my little apartment in the dorm and sit there with tears streaming down their face. And they would say things to me like, Stephanie, you don't understand. I'm the only one who doesn't have it all together. And I would say, oh, honey, oh. And I would, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time I said this. I said, honey, I can't tell you who was sitting in this exact same seat yesterday because confidentiality, but I promise you, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. But what was out there? What did they see? They didn't see other students being honest about their struggles. They saw what was celebrated, which was the the grades and the social clubs and the, the dating and everything. But I, I talked to a whole lot more students who had those tears in their eyes than I did the ones who were, you know, in, in an honest moment, That that's what I was finding is the ones that had the tears in their eyes. That has to associate with social media and a lack of valuing authenticity like but social media uh, absolutely has do you see that stephanie that that's is that one of the like is that number one is it top three what would you say how does that affect us i i think it's got to be up there if it's not number one it's pretty close and and if we think about we're we're so surrounded by this right now and and I'm not the only one who's going to say this. I I've got all the social media apps. I I do the mm-hmm. I do Insta- I was going to say I do the Instagram because I'm 104. <laughs> you know I me. Mean? I do Instagram, you know I mean? I just I I do I I I appreciate those things for what they are, but I try not to make them what they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where where some of it is, some of the concern, but it hasn't been that long if we think about even though we're surrounded by that in the grand scheme of things, this is this is barely a blink in our history that we have this kind of access to the stories that are celebrated like that. And and again, I because I've had some of my friends be gut level honest with me in our conversations, but then I see some of the things that are on social media, even for for even for some of my friends that that boy that looks really good there. But boy, I know you're you're really struggling, or you're you're really struggling in your faith, or you're really struggling in your marriage, but wow, that Instagram post looks fantastic. Yeah. You know? and, well, and it's not that it should be, uh, you know, everyone putting all their stuff uh, on there, but, and it's not so much for my friend who's doing that, but it's for everybody who's looking at my friend saying, oh, she's got such an amazing life. When what they don't know is that she's thinking about leaving her husband. Mm. Right. I'll push back on social media a little bit, you know, because obviously we're going to post this on social media, but, <laughs> you know, I, I guess I guess I wonder 
how much of it was already there and social media just exposed it. Because mm. I, I think about in the early 1900s, late 1800s, Horatio Alger, he's kind of the patron saint of the American dream. So he writes these books where <coughs> it's got me all choked up. You know, these, these young boys go from rags to riches. And I, I think about every generation kind of has this, the 20 year old that starts the company, you know, and, and blows it up, you know, is super successful and super talented. You know, we love this Walt Disney story goes to California now as a mogul. And, and it, and um, I do think social media has elevated it. So I agree with both of you, but there is something that was always there because we don't, you know, we don't celebrate the person that didn't go to college and became a plumber and did it for 50 years mm. and probably pastored people in ways that we never would. And we don't celebrate the, the pastor that, you know, lives in Joplin, Missouri, you know, and serves a church of a hundred people really well. Like we just kind of struggle with that. And the only place where I knew that that happened, I grew up two blocks away from where IBM started. And it was all about being there for 40 to 50 years. And, and these people would be there their whole careers and now they switch. And so there was a little bit of that, but you know, just we're not in a culture that celebrates consistency or faithfulness. If anything, it questions it. It's like, well, why are you still at the same job? Why, you know, I don't know. I, yeah. Push back on me. I don't yeah. know. No, well, no, and I, I think we're agreeing because I, I would, I would mm -hmm. agree. It's, it's elevated. It's not. It hasn't caused the problem. Social media hasn't caused a problem. It just, it just puts it in our faces so much more. Mm, yeah. So maybe it makes, maybe it makes it more rapid, or it's just more uh, ubiquitous. The fact that I can look at what so many more people I know of are doing as if I know them and think, oh boy, that's, there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of great things. And, you know, the, the speaker list from whatever conference is coming, you just kind of look at it, you know, he's, oh, wow. You, you know, again, it's just in those little secret places in your heart. I, I do think I served under the leadership of a pastor. He, he pastored uh, part of the church for 40 years. I think the first 10, he was the associate the last 30, he was the senior pastor. He was the kind of pastor, just quietly, um, without a lot of fanfare, just served just served the people, just served the people well. He's the kind of guy who would, if he saw you on the side of the road, he'd stop and help, you know, mm. kind of thing. He was, um, he was on staff at the church. The couple who had started the church, uh, a married couple, when the husband died, the husband, as he was dying, said to his wife, I want you to, to lead the church. So uh, Sister Decker uh, evidently led the church for a while. And then the man who later was my pastor served underneath her leadership. I am told that there were people who went to him and said, you could take this church. You could take it. We'd follow you. And my pastor, the man who became my pastor said, I'm here to, I'm here to serve her leadership. I'm here to make make the vision come true. I'm here to serve her leadership. Fast forward a number of years when Sister Decker was ready to retire. Conventional wisdom says the pastor leaves, but in this case, she was older and a widow. They brought her, he brought her on staff. So my, the pastor, my pastor ended up being invited into the, uh, the senior leadership role and brought her on staff. And after that, she would say to the people, 
I'm here to serve his leadership. I'm here to make his vision come true. And that that's what I was raised up under mm. is I, I'm, I'm in the place that God wants me. And I'm here to serve. Um, I don't need to, I don't need to muscle my way into the next position. Um, and, you know, at least from his perspective, I don't need to muscle my way in. God has not asked me to serve in this position, in her position. God has asked me to serve in my position. And then when she became the associate, um, she didn't have to say, well, I used to pastor this. I started this church. Mm. It was, I'm here to serve his leadership. Mm. Oh man. That, okay, friends, that I could celebrate. Yeah. I could I, celebrate that. Yeah. Peter, I think you're on to something. I never really thought about that it was always there. I won't name names, but I know people who are older than me who said to me, oh, don't tell anyone that when it was something that was difficult or like keep it to yourself or they didn't treasure like going for therapy when things were difficult in their lives or they had like traumatizing situations. So like there was this neat and tidy box that needed to be, uh, that we all needed to be in. And there's, I mean, we just, as a discipleship team talked about how the Psalms are so honest about how they feel and begging God to intervene and change things. Um, and there's such a beauty in just being real about the struggle. So, yeah, I really, there's a beauty about being in the struggle and here, let's kind of close with these two questions. So here's the question that I'd love for you to put in concrete. Cause I think it kind of goes to what, um, Amanda's talking about. So let's say for a moment, and uh, this is all of our listeners. They might be de-churched, unchurched. They might be angry at Jesus. So I'm, I'm asking them just to pretend. What if you just accepted where God has you right now, location, um, whether you're married or not, career, like just in this minute that you're listening, what would change about your life if you could accept that? And I'm not dismissing your desires and ambitions, but you know, what do you think changes if people could kind of capture the essence of what Jesus is calling them to in this moment? Mm -hmm. I have two thoughts on that. One is if, if I'm in this season and this is what Jesus has for me, then he has something for me here in this. There's, I, I would have to think that there was a richness to this season now. And I know it's easy to want to jump to the next season. I, again, I, I, I have enough, I think, right kind of ambition. I, you know, I, I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. I want to keep getting better. If I didn't, then I would never change and grow. There, there'd be no growth unless there's change. And part of our, I think sometimes part of our desires for the things that, that are ahead of us do help us grow, um, help us think differently, help us grow into to the people I do think God wants us to be. But for the things that he has for me now, I don't want to miss the riches in what he has for me now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I used to tell our students, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus could take me home, I, whatever. Then this was the last thing and the last place that God invited me to, to be a part of or called me to, which means he has something for me here and now. Right. And whatever that context is, sometimes those contexts are really hard. Sometimes it's, I, I remember, you know, my friend saying one time, 
my husband got fired today. I'm not, I'm not making light of those hard things, but, but what is the, what is the, what are the riches now in this moment? And where is, where is God in that? That's part of the riches is, is he, is he close? Cause I think he wants to be, um, because even in the hard places, I don't want to go through those things without his nearness. I also don't want to go through the amazing things without his nearness. I don't, to be honest, I don't trust myself in those extreme successful moments without his, without his presence, because I can way too easily make it about me and, and my plan and what I've done. Uh, I want him close by when I feel extremely successful. I want it close by when I feel like I'm hidden in the dark place, like a seed in the dirt. I, w- I want to know that he's close. Um, yeah. There, there's a richness there. So I'd say his presence and also what he has for me in any given moment. Um, that's, I think that's, I don't know. I, I met with a spiritual director for about a year, um, walking through a, a, a prayer retreat, what we call a prayer retreat process, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, just a wonderful experience of growing in my prayer life. And very often I would bump into something and my spiritual director, the woman, kind of a mentor, she would say to me, what is God's invitation to you here in this? And anytime I'm in a rough moment or a disappointing moment or a, wow, I didn't think that that would happen moment. That question emerges in what is God's invitation for me right now? Boy, that adds a lot of uh, richness to even the hard moments. And I think that's part of, back to your question earlier, Peter, I think that's part of what Christianity brings. That's part of what the Lord offers that, maybe other, other places and spaces and, and, um, value systems and faiths maybe don't offer is just the richness at that moment. Um, I have an invitation from God here. Um, and that's, that's, it's life giving and liberating even in the hard spaces, even Mm. in the spaces where I'm disappointed because I didn't, my life isn't what I thought it would be. So like a, like a great assemblies of God pastor. Um, I'm not going to close when I say I'm going to, cl- I'm going to, I'm going to close it a little bit. So, but <laughs> this I think is your first closing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is my first closing. Uh, let me, I think there's two questions I think for the three of us to kind of answer. Cause what you said is really powerful, but I, I, I think our listeners, I, I think they're going to need some like super concrete help. So when you talk about, like what's rich in your life right now? Maybe what we'll do is, you know, I'll take a minute to answer it, let you two think, I'll pass it to Amanda, then to you, and then we'll ask our last question. So I think what I hear, you know, Stephanie saying and like what's rich, because we're always looking ahead or we're looking behind and, um, you know, I'll I'll just be like real or not. Today um, that we're doing this podcast, my daughter Lucy turns two, and she is this beautiful mix of sweet and sass. Um, <laughs> she was up this morning at like five thirty. Um, if you all could see that what I was doing while I was posting her birthday Instagram post, um, I think it would change that. But you know, I, I uh, she was like all over me, and I was like, Lucy, you're like gonna fall down. Um, but <clears throat> in saying that, I I think the richness of even this moment and even this season is, you know, to hear my um, my four-year-old daughter, Haley, come downstairs and the first words out of her mouth are, Lucy, it's your birthday today. And so 
I think that that to me, when I was listening to you talk, that's kind of the richness. So I'll leave that one there. And then I'll have Amanda go, you can share yours, but then you can clean up any of our messes. So, so what's go. the richness of the season that right. I'm in? Super concrete. Okay. Other than doing a podcast with Stephanie. I and mean, me. that would have been number one. <laughs> um, to, th- to think back to when, um, I first committed my life to Christ that my heart was to help people take the next step in their faith. And now I'm like the next steps director at a church that I love that never thought that I'd move to Rochester and be married and doing work that I really love and am passionate about and think about even when I'm not here is just such a beautiful thing that God aligned my heart's desire with. Um, and he wants to use me in that. But it wasn't right away. It wasn't when I thought. It wasn't when I expected. But in I look back at seasons of my life and there really was a surrender that I needed and a trust in God that he was preparing me for this season. He was using me in my fourth grade lessons about math to prepare me for now. As crazy as it sounds and how distant that is, it's true. Um, so my my joy right now is truly that I'm in a position in a, in a church that I love. And I, I have a wonderful husband that God has provided for me. I'm just so I'm immensely grateful. So you have two tasks. Number one, did we identify good riches? Um, and then number two, what's rich in your life? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful riches. I mean, just even for you, Peter, to see how your, your oldest daughter celebrated your littlest one. I'm like that's a that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. She already has the the kind of the practice of celebration. Mm. Boy, that I think as a church we need to grow in that in the right way. We talked about what things are being celebrated, but she celebrated her younger sister for being. <laughs> you know, mm. oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I because our lives are so complex. I could I could kind of pull on any string, but the first thing that does come to mind. Is, has been the season of grief uh, that I've, I've been in. Um, and, and again, where how that fits into our larger conversation is I, I am without a, a doubt, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a go-getter, I'm a getter-done person. Um, on my, my, our family motto is if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. You know, whatever you're going to do, do it big. You know what I mean? That's just, you know, that's just who we are. That's, it's, it's it deeply in my DNA. And to have been these last several months in a season where I don't feel like I could be as um, effective or productive or fill in the blank because of a season of grief is, is goes against my grain. It goes against my my natural inclination. It's been really challenging at time to have to take extra time away from, from our, our ministry and my work for, for different things, but the riches that have come from it, I, have been so loved by, I have been so loved by God's people this year. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even begin to describe it. I can't begin to describe it. I, I, I don't think I've been in all of my Christian life. It hasn't, I haven't had compounded grief in this, in this way. I've had loss in, in my life, but it just seemed like back to back. It was very terrible diagnosis that came with a lot of just scary, you know, future, very fast, um, illness that resulted in my stepdad's death. 
uh, the concerns that have gone with, okay, now I got to make sure mom's okay. You know, mom, mm-hmm. mom is 75 mm-hmm. and now my attention is on what does mom need in, in this season and in her future. That that's a, that's a whole different way of thinking now, now that he's gone. Um, and then to, I, I know not everybody has a, a beloved relationship with a pet, but my, my sweet little guy was my, my, my little best friend who traveled with me, lived in multiple States and the whole, you know, like my little companion. And it was very shocking and very sudden, mm. very unexpected. And it's, so the compoundedness of that um, was, it took my breath away in ways I, I just didn't, I just, I'd never experienced before in my life. And I, the, the, the care by God's people has floored me. How people have stepped up. People, I mean, people sent food, sent money, sent gift cards, uh, sent gifts. Sent, I'm, and, I mean, and, and it's not just for the stuff, but that was the expression of people even all over the country. Like, I can't be there right now, but let me feed you. Mm-hmm. I can't be there right now, but I, pe- people, friends sent me pictures of my beloved pup. And, you know, and I, I've got, God, you know, all these things. I was like, I've been loved well. I've been mm-hmm. cared for so well, all by God's people. And so in the midst of that, if I can be gut level honest, grief sometimes kind of, um, at least this season of grief for me has been a challenge in terms of my own sense of um, like prayer and everything. I just, I felt cloudy. I felt cloudy for several months. So it's not been like God isn't there, but it's been like, God, I just, I, all I see are clouds right now. And every once in a while I'd be, it's like I was wrapped around by God's people um, mm. saying, Hey, we got you. Um, we got you today. We're going to take care of you today. And so anyway, it's a long winded answer. Uh, and I apologize for the extensiveness of it, but the riches of these last months have been, God has loved me well through his people mm. in a way. I, I don't think I've ever felt that loved before. Wow. I I don't think it was long winded. I mm-hmm. I think uh, you know between you and Amanda, it, I I think it's just helpful to if you're looking for God's presence, you might be surprised that you actually find it. So I hope our listeners do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, la- last question um, is you know what does Jesus have to say about why isn't my life where I expected it to be? So. Hey, you've worked with college students. Again, we'll answer this and you get to clean up the mess, whatever mess we leave. You're not that far from a seminary. So if we throw in some heresy, sure, right. you know, there you go. <laughs> Somebody here will feel it. Yeah. There will be a disturbance in the force or something. <laughs> love it. Love it. Amanda, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Sure. I'll go, uh, I'll go first. Oh man. She's got a Bible verse. She's I like all set. This one I've got one for sure. Um, Proverbs 16, 9, um, man plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. So I think there's something to be said about, you know, we need to make plans. We need to be ambitious. It's okay that we have goals and desires and dreams. Um, but at the end of the day, knowing God who is faithful and good and loving is going to truly have the final say of where my steps go. Um, and I have seen his faithfulness and all of that. And even when I hated it and said, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. I can look back and say, oh, he was so very faithful. So very faithful. Um, I think 
I think if you read the Bible, um, you definitely see that God answers prayers in positive ways. Uh, and I think it's Mark Batterson that says blessings complicate our lives. But I think you also see in the Bible that God just takes you to unexpected places. Mm -hmm. uh, Moses, you know, went from Egypt to a desert, back to a desert. Um, and you look at Paul, you know, there was times that he was full-time pastor. There's also times that he was tent making. And then mm -hmm. you even look at the life of Jesus, you know, here's someone that's all knowing and all powerful and is about to die on the cross. And he says, God, is there, is there another way? So mm -hmm. I just think that the more you engage scripture, the more you engage people like Stephanie and Amanda, the more you're going to figure out that God does answer in the affirmative. He also answers in the negative, but you know, it's the faithfulness of God in our lives that really unites us all together. So I just think the more you hear people's stories, the more you'll see both uh, the beauty and the brokenness, mm -hmm. but of how God's with us. Yeah. Mm, so good. Both of you. So good. One of the first things that came to my mind is in the gospels when Jesus said, do not worry about your lives. And, um, mm. for some reason I thought Jesus isn't worried about my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? If he's telling us, we don't have to worry about it. He's not worried about my life. Mm. And, um, he's not worried if I'm successful enough or this. I, I do think he wants us to be faithful and fruitful. I, I, I do think he invites us into abiding with him and there's a fruitfulness that comes in our lives, but, but he's not worried. So I've got to wonder if, if, if God's not worried about something, I don't want to spend my days worrying about something either. And I really would echo what, what you're saying there, Peter. I, I think the examples that we see in scripture, I think as, as one wise person said, I can find my life in the word. The examples we see in scripture, I can find my life in there. There are seasons where of hiddenness. There are seasons that feel like a winter. I'm sure Jesus felt like that. There are times, uh, I have a dear friend who wrote a book called Anonymous that explored the, the, the years of Jesus's, what she called the hidden years of Jesus's life. Were there days when, when Jesus said, Father, is it now? Is it today? Is it today? And not yet, son, not yet, son, not yet, son. Okay, today, you know, and, and, uh, to follow the example of Jesus, to be able to be at peace, in the hiddenness, at peace when it's when the, it's the day that that the Father says, "Okay, today," and it wasn't just any day. It was it was okay today. Now meet John at the baptism. Okay, you know the Holy Spirit descending like all all the things like that was a big day. That was it, the day before was not today, and then it was okay. Wow, there's there's something today, and then to go straight into the wilderness of uh, you know temptation. If I can keep if I can keep my eyes on his example, um, that there are these seasons and every one of those seasons has a, has a purpose. Um, and every one of those seasons is filled with the promise of his presence. Um, I, I think that, I think that's what he says about the topic and what he has lived about this topic. Mm. Wow. You could tweet that last line right there. We probably will. Um, uh, so so Stephanie, where's the best place for people to find you? 
Mm, sure. I'm on, uh, all, all, regardless of what it may have sounded like earlier, I am on all the social media apps. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. Steffa Chap uh, is my Twitter, S-T-E-F-A-C-H-A-P. I think it's the same for um, uh, Instagram and Facebook is my, my full name. Um, those are the, the big ones I'm on. So, yep, you can follow me there. And uh, if you're on a college campus, make sure you try to look up Chi Alpha, you know, so represent my friends yes. back in the day. So yes. there you go. That's right. ChiAlpha.com. I also have I also have a, a very simple website, my, my full name, StephanieChappelle.com. And that can actually get you connected to the Chi Alpha because I know a lot of times people look at Chi Alpha, the Greek letters, uh, m- intending to represent Christ's ambassadors. Um, but sometimes people look at it and say, Chi Alpha, what's that? You know, but Chi Alpha. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all great. Well, and the best place to find us is the whygodwhypodcast.com. Uh, you can click the subscribe button. You'll get this episode and a bunch of other great ones like this one. Thank you so much for joining us. 